everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Madison Ford. Thank you all for being patient with me the past few weeks. I would be lying if I said that my mental health has not been affected by the current world events, from everything going on inside the Potter fandom to everything going on beyond it. I do want to reiterate that Beyond the Veil stands firmly with the trans community, the LGBTQ plus community overall, and that we do support the Black Lives Matter movement and the destruction of white supremacy. Saying it alone isn't enough. I just want to make sure that anyone who didn't know where we stood didn't have to wonder. Currently, we're putting together a plan to raise some money for the mental health of queer and trans black folks. We'll have the details posted on our social media accounts soon, so please give us a follow at Beyond the Veil Pod on Instagram or Beyond the Veil MN on Twitter for more information. In the meantime, let's get into today's interview with Katie. Katie shared her story of anxiety and the many ways the Potter series has brought her joy and laughter as she works to manage her mental health symptoms. Thank you all again for joining me. Now, let's dive in. Welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everyone. Today on the show, we have Katie. Katie, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Madison. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, will you tell everybody listening a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, like you said, my name is Katie. Um, I'm 26. I am from New Jersey. I live near the Jersey Shore, if you all are um, familiar with that. I'm sure you are if you know the TV show. Um, (laughs) So I live over in that area. Um, I am a communications and media major from a tiny little school called Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. Um, I like to read, I like to write, and I obviously love Harry Potter, and that is why I am here. Yes. And so what type of Harry Potter information would you like to share about yourself? Sure. So I will start by saying that when I was younger and I took all those quizzes and you have to kind of choose almost what house you're in, I always related to being a Gryffindor. So I naturally have all of this Gryffindor merchandise, scarves, hats, shirts, I mean, you name it. Um, And then the last couple of years when Pottermore revamped and I took the quiz and, you know, you take the Patronus quiz and you get sorted and all of that, I was sorted into Hufflepuff and my Patronus is a badger. So the universe is kind of screaming at me that I'm a Hufflepuff at heart. So I guess I'm kind of a hybrid. I'll, I'll go with Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. Um, and more information, I guess, about Harry Potter. My favorite book is The Prisoner of Azkaban. I absolutely adore it. I love Sirius Black. There is just something about that story. It's kind of when everything really, in my opinion, starts to get dark and you kind of delve into the entire backstory of Harry and Voldemort and how they're connected and, you know, what's what's going on. And he's getting older and and they're all getting older and they're learning, learning more and starting to understand more about his past. And that's what really excites me about it. Um, My favorite movie would probably... It's so difficult to choose. I really, really love Goblet of Fire, um, but I'm also very fond of Order of the Phoenix. I think, um, I don't know, that one really hits home for me. There, You can see such a difference in all of the characters as far as maturity goes, especially mm-hmm. from Goblet of Fire to Order of the Phoenix. Um, 
and I just loved, you know, their kind of rebellious side with, with Dumbledore's army and kind of going against Umbridge and sneaking behind her back and doing things that they, they shouldn't have. So I, you know, I absolutely love that. Um, as far as any other information about Harry Potter goes, um, you know, I've been with MuggleNet since 2016. Um, I interned for a while and then I was um, asked to join as a full-time staff member uh, for the social media team for Facebook. And I have been with them ever since. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. So can you talk to us a little bit about the first time that you came across the Harry Potter series? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was probably in first or second grade and my grandmother had bought me the first book. Um, and I had never really been into fantasy. Actually, when I was very young, I hated reading. I wanted nothing to do with it. Summer reading for school was like the biggest nightmare of my life. I just never wanted to do it. Um, it's just something that I didn't enjoy as a child, which is so funny now because I feel like all I do is read. Um, <laughs> so my grandma had bought me the first book and I didn't know how I felt about it. I wasn't really into fantasy types of, of stories. Um, I guess you could say, and, you know, I started to read it and I, I didn't love it. Um, and I kind of read half and, and put it down. It would go back and forth, uh, you know, between it every now and then. Um, and then actually, I don't even know if people might consider me a late bloomer in this case. I was in seventh grade um, and I was in a Girl Scout troop with some friends that I had known since I was very, very young. And they introduced me to one of the other girls in the group who was, for lack of a better term, um, a fanatic. I have never met anyone in my life who was so obsessed with this series. And she kind of basically tried to turn me into a fan, <laughs> I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said, I had gone kind of back and forth with the first book and I, I was never, I never really got into it until I met this girl. She is the one that actually introduced me to MuggleNet. Um, she, I remember her showing me the website. We must've been, I guess, 11, 11 or 12. And, you know, she would visit the site every single day. She would read the articles. She would send them to me back when AIM and IMing was a thing. She would send me like articles and, and posts from, from MuggleNet. Um, and then from then on, I just became as hooked as her. Um, I read, I, I read the book so quickly. Um, you know, and then of course followed along when all of the new ones came out. Um, I was obsessed with the movies. I became very, very much, um, I guess, in love with Rupert Grin, you could say, when I was younger and <laughs> mm -hmm. watching him portray my favorite character, you know, definitely helped my crush on him a little bit. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I so I guess I guess you could really consider maybe around the age of 10, 11 or 12. That's when I really got into the series and, and got into the books um, when this girl, Melissa, introduced me to the world of Potter, I guess you could say. I love that. I love the... Uh you know, the kind of a spark that was just there kind of waiting. And then all of a sudden it becomes a bonfire. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is the perfect way to describe it. I mean, my parents say the same thing, you know, they, they tell me all the time that, you know, they kind of saw an interest when I was young. And then it was like, all of a sudden I just became obsessed and there was no turning back. I have never once wavered, uh, you know, as far as emotions go towards this series. So <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. I, lo I love 
a good uh, Potter origin story. It's one of my favorite questions to ask people. Yeah, absolutely, because everybody has something different. It's great to hear, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so today, uh, we're going to be talking about kind of the main uh, topics we're going into is you struggle with an anxiety disorder. So kind of getting into the mental health side of this, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what that's like for you? Sure. Um, so I was always a very anxious and sensitive child, and I I didn't really know why. Um, and I don't think I don't think that my parents knew when I was growing up that it would turn into, I guess, a diagnosed disorder. Um, you know, I remember specific things from when I was younger that kind of made no sense to me. And you know, that was something that I struggled with a lot when I was younger, not really having answers to any of these feelings that I was having and and struggling to figure it out on my own. Um, And I I remember a friend's mom telling me once, I must have been maybe 11 or 12, that I was too sensitive and and too scared all the time. And to hear that from an adult when you're so young is is pretty demeaning um, and, and degrading. And I didn't really know how to take that. And I kind of held that in for a long time. I didn't even tell my parents that she had said that to me. Um, and, and, you know, it kind of festered and I didn't really know what to make of it. I kind of thought that there was something wrong with me. I, and there's this stigma surrounding mental health. So of course I wanted to keep it as close to me as possible without letting the people around me know that I was feeling this way. Um, and then, you know, there were little moments here and there that I just couldn't make sense of. And then um, when I was 16, I, uh, I lost a very good friend of mine. Um, he just kind of decided one day to up and leave. Um, you know, no goodbye, no nothing. He just kind of cut me out of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was someone that I considered to be a best friend, I guess. You know, I was closer to him or so I thought, um, you know, than my three friends from preschool that I'm still friends with today. Um, you know, I, I considered him to be almost like a brother to me. Um, so when he up and left and, and kind of told me one day that, you know, he couldn't help me with these thoughts that I was having and that I needed to go see a doctor, um, that hit me hard. Um, and it was, it was difficult to kind of deal with. And I remember one night I was sitting in my kitchen, um, and he had left for college and, and I was, a year younger. So I was still in high school and I had a breakdown at my table to the point where I couldn't even lift my head up. And I think I really scared my parents. And I think they saw that, you know, I might, I need to talk to somebody. Um, and, you know, after kind of calming me down, my mom, you know, decided with my dad that maybe it was a good thing for me to meet with a therapist. Um, and because I was under 18, they did come with me the first session. Um, it was just a, you know, a regular therapist, she specialized in anxiety, but it wasn't anything so specific because I didn't know where my specific anxiety lied, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I just kind of had this generalized fear. Um, And so I met with her. Um, I met with her all throughout high school. When I went to college, we did have phone conversations from time to time. Then I kind of found my niche in school. I found my friends. I found my activities that I wanted to be involved in. Um, and I felt okay. So I, I stopped calling her, still had her, you know, in the back of my mind. And she said that if I ever needed anything, I could obviously always come back. Um, but I did stop. I wanted to see if I could kind of deal with things on my own 
Um, and I did, I, I think I did pretty well for a while. Um, and then my junior year of college, I decided to take a leap and study abroad, which is funny to a lot of people when they hear that I have this anxiety disorder and I decided to travel across the globe to a country with people that did not speak English. I, I moved to Italy. Um, I was I guess, 20, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, I think I'm yeah, 20 years old. Um, I moved across the world. I moved to Rome. I did go with friends. So it was a little less frightening in that sense. Um, you know, we all applied together and we all left and went. Um, and that I think is really when my disorder got bad. Um, you know, I loved living there. I loved being with my friends. Um, there was a moment my friends and I went to some kind of event that they were holding in, in the square of where we lived. Um, and it was early in the morning. So we decided that we would walk there and go to this event and then we would, um, you know, find a cafe or something to eat breakfast at. So I hadn't eaten anything that morning. Um, and I guess, I guess in the end, my blood sugar was very low and I ended up fainting. So when I was abroad and this happened, I kind of came to and I was in the back of an ambulance and all of these people were yelling at me in Italian and I had to try and communicate. I don't speak Italian. So I had to try and communicate to them, you know, I'm American, I'm studying abroad. My friends are outside. Thankfully, my friends were on top of things and they were trying to tell these people, you know, she's a, she's an American student. Um, but it was really scary. You know, I ended up hitting my head. I had to go to the hospital to make sure I didn't have a concussion. And I guess for whatever reason that kind of got me. And, uh, I, I was very tense that whole rest of the trip that happened in the first week of November. And I was there until the second week of December. So it was horrible. I just, not that the rest of my experience abroad was bad because it wasn't, I, I did go on trips and I finished classes and everything. And I still explored the world around me, but it, it was really, it was difficult. Um, it was just hard to, to deal with. My parents were so far away. Um, you know, I was here with my friends, but there was no family around. Um, and it just got to the point where I was kind of ready. <laughs> I was ready to come home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back when I was 20 and, and I was abroad, that's when it started to get really bad. And I noticed that I kind of maybe needed a little more help than I had originally presumed, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. So, yeah. Yeah. It always strikes me when people can recall these um, these different things with such clarity as these kind of moments where uh, after that is maybe when you noticed the anxiety was really staying with you um, or that it was like those moments you noticed like with your friend's mom, um, you know, being demeaning to you about your anxiety. And I am curious since uh, since you were since your study abroad trip, has the anxiety kind of been around the same uh, intensity since then, or have you been able to help get it a little bit more managed? Um, I would say a little bit of both. Um, mm -hmm. It depends on the situation. So, you know, the rest of the time when I was abroad, um, I was convinced that there was something like lodged in my chest. And honest to God, it was literally just anxiety pains. But for whatever reason, I was convinced there's something in my chest, I need to go get x rays, blah, 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 whatever. I ended up 
my parents actually ended up coming to visit. They were going to come visit anyway. Um, but when they came to visit for Thanksgiving, I begged my dad to take me to the hospital and they kept trying to tell me you're okay. You're fine. It's just these feelings and you're making, you're almost making yourself sick. Um, but you know, my, my parents being who they are, they brought me to the hospital in the middle of Italy and, you know, they did not speak good English. These doctors, they did their best to help, but it's a very, it's a touristy city, but as far as, you know, these local hospitals and shops go, nobody really speaks English. Um, mm -hmm. So trying to translate uh, to them what was going on and them kind of trying to talk back to us, um, trying to translate for us, it was hard. Um, and I thought that things would get better once I got home and they were for a couple weeks, um, but I started to get worse again. I was then convinced I was getting headaches all the time and I was convinced that there was something going on in my head. Did I have some kind of like aneurysm? And it sounds ridiculous, but I am such a hypochondriac. And thinking back to my childhood, I always have been. Um, and, you know, a couple months after I got home, I had my parents take me to the hospital in Connecticut by where my school was, you know, only for the doctor to tell me you are stressed, you are anxious, they are tension headaches, you are fine. There's nothing in your head. There's nothing in your chest. It is just these anxious thoughts eating you alive. Um, so after that, um, you know, like I said, it kind of went back and forth. Senior year, um, I did struggle a lot, I think, with the um, impending graduation and, and, and leaving this environment that I was so used to with all of my friends that I became very close with. Um, I ended up seeing a therapist at school who prescribed me um, to go on Prozac. Um, and it was just a very small dosage. I think it was the smallest therapeutic dosage a doctor could give, which was uh, 20 milligrams. So I started on that. I'm still on it today. Um, that was back in 2015. So it's been almost five years. I haven't upped it. Um, I haven't stopped it either. Uh, so it's something that I found helps me. Um, you know, I, I'm a big mental health advocate, whereas my, my family, not that they have anything against it, but they're, they're kind of the opposite. You know, when, when I was diagnosed with this dis disorder, you know, my parents kind of told me, well, don't tell your friends about this and don't really tell anybody about it. Um, Mm. Not that they were ashamed of it. I think they just wanted what was best for me and they didn't want it to affect, you know, the way people acted around me. Yeah. Um, but since then, uh, you know, I've, I've become a very big mental health advocate. Um, I have no problem talking about it, you know, my struggles, things like that with, with anybody really. Um, so it has gone up and down. Um, I did end up after graduating and coming home I went back to the therapist that I started working with when I was 16. Um, and I started going to her when the last relationship that I was in got really bad. Um, I kind of just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was having all these anxious feelings. And I think in the back of my head, I, I wanted to end things, but I didn't know how. And I was becoming this very stressed out person over something so minuscule, I guess you could say in hindsight. Um, mm -hmm. so I started going to her a couple years ago. Again, she helped me kind of build up the courage to get out of this toxic relationship that I was in. Um, and then, um, I stopped seeing her 
two years ago, I guess, because I actually moved um, to South Jersey and ended up seeing a therapist down there. And I've been with this therapist ever since. She's she's very funny, um, which I think is a key ingredient into a good um, therapy session. She mm-hmm. makes me laugh, which I think um, I need, especially with these anxious thoughts that I have. So, um, yeah, you know, I still see her today. Like I said, I am on medication and I have no problem talking about it. Um, but it does, it does fluctuate. Um, you know, as of recent, it's been a little worse than, than normal. Um, but it's, I've figured out over the last 10 years how to manage it. Um, you Mm -hmm. know, there are some days when it does get bad and I will need to call my therapist kind of almost for like an emergency session or as soon as they can take me. Um, but I have found that, that I am able to manage it. Um, and, you know, I try and go as long as I can without a therapy session just to see if I, I can do it myself. But it, it does fluctuate from time to time depending on, uh, on the situation that I'm in. Have you, um, with that fluctuation, are you able to tell if there's something specific that leads to an increase or does it feel kind of random? A lot of times it feels random for me, um, mm-hmm. which is extremely frustrating, not yeah. only to me, but the people around me. Um, and it has proven to end friendships and relationships that I'm in, which have hit me hard. Um, you know, I always think, is there something wrong with me? You know, I'm, I'm turning these people away. I'm pushing them away. But in reality, it's who I am and it's what I deal with. And I kind of just have to accept it, which I have a very hard time with. Um, but it, it is kind of random. There are some things when I know I know what's bothering me and I can easily pinpoint and tell people, you know, X, Y, and Z happened and now it's making me feel this way. Um, you know, a couple years ago from July of 2014 to July of 2016, I lost all three of my remaining grandparents. Um, oh. I actually lost one in a row each July. Wow. So it was just kind of like one after another after another. And I remember every summer I would like go into this spiral that I was just so tense because it was like, well, my grandma passed away last year and now my grandpa's really sick. And then the next year it was like, well, my grandpa passed last year and now grandma's really sick. So it was, we were all, I I was, I was all over the place. And, you know, I, I did feel that kind of almost impending doom, I guess you could say every time um, that month came up when my grandparents, you know, as I lost each one of them and as they got sicker and sicker over the years. Um, and I, I do have specific things that bother me, but there are a lot of times when it's very random and I can't pinpoint it and I will have a panic attack and I don't know what kind of struck me. And it can take me even a few days to figure it out, which is extremely, extremely aggravating. And I'm trying to work through ways with my therapist to better pinpoint these reasonings behind why I'm having these sudden attacks or, you know, why I'm feeling so anxious. Um, But it's an ongoing struggle and it's an everyday battle. And it's something that I'm still working on to this day. Your mental health is a forever thing in some ways. So it's a I think it's probably very normal to have that kind of struggle still with figuring out what those triggers are. And I'm glad that you're working with somebody, you know, that's, I, I am myself and it's, 
it's helpful to at least feel like you have you know a professional helping guide you through that yes 100 percent. and i feel you need that third party outsider because i can talk to my friends all i want but they're also going to tell me exactly what i want to hear um, mm-hmm. except for when they are giving me tough love but <laughs> you know they're gonna they're gonna tell me exactly what i want to hear which I would love that all the time, but also I need truth and I need honesty and I kind of need that um, brutal honesty sometimes, which I feel like you can only really get from a therapist. Um, You know, you need someone removed from the situation, um, you know, who doesn't really know you outside of these therapy sessions to really get into what bothers you and how to fix it. Um, As much as I obviously love my friends and my family and they do help me every single day, there's just something different about going to that going to that outsider and going to that third party and getting that kind of help. Absolutely. And so in addition to, you know, working with like a therapist, like third party and medication, um, I know you've mentioned that the Potter books can kind of help you uh, stay occupied so that your head doesn't, you know, get into those really uh, anxious thought cycles or helps you with them. Uh, and I'm curious how the Potter books are kind of involved in that. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, ever since, you know, I was young and I got into these, there's just something about these books that take me away. Um, you know, it's a, I think the big thing for me is that it's a, it's like an alternate universe. Um, you know, something that obviously we don't have as much as I pray and plead with God that it was real. Um, it's not, and you know, we'll never have that. So it is such a wonderful thing to escape in these books. Um, And for me, I am a big young adult reader and writer. um, And I tend to lean towards these like young adult romance novels, um, which are all very similar. Um, You know, when you read them time and time again, one after another. Um, So what I like about the Potter series is that it doesn't focus on that young adolescent romance, um, you know, as the number one priority in throughout the series, you know, you do get that towards the end with Harry and Ginny and and Ron and Hermione, but um, that's not the main focus of this series. You know, I, I love that um, JK Rowling focused on friendship and, you know, kind of facing your fears and working together and, you know, realizing that there are more important things in life than, um, you know, doing things just for yourself, you know, you're, you're helping others and, you know, you're, um, you know, you're researching, you're making yourself smarter, you're doing all these things with other people throughout this series. Um, I just like that she focuses on that rather than, um, you know, that kind of romance side. I think there's just so many other important things, um, you know, that she, she hits on within these stories. Um, and that's something that really captured me when I read them so long ago. And even as I read them now, you know, as a grown woman, um, it's just something that I like. It's something that's different. I feel like you don't, I mean, I'm sure you do get other young adult stories, um, you know, that don't focus on that romance side. Um, but there was just something, something different about these stories. I mean, I, I remember growing up, there was no other phenomenon like this I mean we would camp out waiting for the books we would camp out waiting for the movies like there was just nothing else when I was you know a a young teenager that almost lived up to this series there was 
nothing else so big that, you know, our, our movie theater in town would be like sold out. Um, or, you know, the, the bookstores near us would be so crowded that it hit maximum capacity. Um, and I think something like that, that brings so many people together as well. Um, you know, you can relate to so many people who love these books. And, you know, we know that through talking to one another, through MuggleNet, through these podcasts. Um, and it's just something different. And it's, it's so easy for me to read these books and immediately feel better. Um, you know, I, I'm the kind of person, I don't like to read one randomly. If I'm going to read Harry Potter, I'm going to start at one and I'm going to finish with Deathly Hallows. I'm going to mm-hmm. read them all. I'm going to do my whole reread. I'm currently on my reread now. I'm towards the end of Order of the Phoenix. Um, but it's, it's just so easy for me to get so lost in this world and not to sound like a huge dork, but, um, I love to like envision myself if I was a teenager, like what house I would be in, you know, what classes I would like, who I'd be friends with if I was a part of this world. Um, and I think that really helps me um, and kind of takes me away from reality sometimes um, when I need it. Um, and, you know, I, m- the movies are my favorite things in the world. Of course, I, do prefer the books. Um, but I think the way that the movies were done and the actors who portrayed my favorite characters did such an incredible job. It's just so easy to imagine in my mind being a part of that world or, you know, just having it take me away just for a little while. Um, so it's just, it's just such a wonderful thing and like nothing I've, I've ever experienced when it comes to reading, um, reading a book and, and, you know, diving into that alternate universe. I love that. I guess with a lot of these young adult novels focusing on the romance a lot um, and kind of the like the interpersonal stuff that still feels really connected to uh, the world we live in, I guess I'm clarifying um, on exactly, is it that interpersonal thing that, um, the the lack of that, I guess, you know, the lack of like the, the love triangle or, you know, that kind of thing that really makes you feel like the world of Harry Potter and Hogwarts is kind of a, a separate place to jump into compared to the other books. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely say that. Um, yeah, so like all of these young adult books, like, like we said before, they do focus on so many things that we focus on in everyday life. I mean, you know, growing up, all my friends and I talked about were boys and boys in school and going on dates and, you know, who's your boyfriend now and how long have you been dating? And it's, and that's something we still do to this day. I mean, we're grown women. We still do that. And I think it's, it's just nice that, um, you know, the Harry Potter series focuses on something that we don't necessarily um, focus on in everyday life. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just a nice escape, um, you know, rather than diving into another book that talks about what we talk about every single day. Um, you know, I can't, I can't go to my friends and talk about a Quidditch match because, you know, it doesn't exist. And I, I can't, <laughs> I can't go to my, you know, my, my friends and say that I would love to write for the Daily Prophet or the Quibbler or something like that, because we don't have that. Um, 
and you know, I, I can't go to them and say that I learned this in charms class today as much as I would love to do that. So it's just, I think it's just that, um, yeah, that we don't have those things in real life. So it's just such a treat when you get to experience it through a book or through a movie or even in your own imagination. Um, because you don't, you don't have that in real life. So when you do get to experience it in one of those other ways, it is just such an overwhelming feeling of uh, warmth, I guess you could say. That's what it brings me, at least, um, because it's something so different um, and something that we, we, don't, we don't get in our, in our everyday lives. I'm really struck with that by it. The magic must feel so um, real and bright every single time you read it to, you know, feel like coming back every single time that it's still, even if you've, you know, reread the books a dozen times, every time it still feels fresh enough that it feels separate from your everyday life. It does. It really does. I mean, even the other day I was sitting in my family room and, um, side note, I do calligraphy. My friend and I do calligraphy as like almost kind of, I don't know, we started it as a hobby and now it's kind of forming into a little side business. Um, so I was doing some of it for fun the other day and Half-Blood Prince was on TV and I don't want anyone to hate me, but that is my least favorite book and my least favorite movie, but <laughs> it was on and I was like, you know what? I haven't seen this in a while. I I'm going to kind of have it on in the background while I do calligraphy. And I actually just had to stop doing what I was doing just to watch it because it just, ca it just captures me so much that I can go back time and time again just like you said after reading these books a dozen times or seeing these movies however many times I've watched them and it's 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 like it's almost new every single time and I love that I can still get that sense of freshness um you know each time I come back to this story it's just such a it's such a wonderful feeling like I I've never felt before in my entire life with any other series of books or movies that I've I've loved so yeah it's such a wonderful experience well, I love that and I know you said that most of the time when you're reading them you know it's like a you know from book one to book seven type experience um, but I'm curious if there are um, if you're having like a really bad anxious day if there are any scenes from the books or if there's anything that you really turn to even if it's just in your mind from the Potter series yeah oh my gosh absolutely 100% and <clears throat> my poor roommate from college can back me up on this I absolutely love Fred and George I and it hurts me to this day I just wish I almost wish that JK Rowling would just write a separate series just for the two of them because I would love that. I just love them. I love them as the the characters they are, the comedic relief that they bring to the stories. Um, I love them in the movies. James and Oliver, I think, were perfectly cast for them. Um, I met them a couple years ago. Nicest guys in the world. Um, I just loved the way they brought Fred and George to life. Um, and I think also, in a sense, and I, I've talked to some of my friends about this as well, who who like this series too. Um, I do wish that we kind of saw the the more serious side to them because they were serious about starting this business, um, you know, at such a young age. Um, 
And, you know, I think we, we only really saw their comedic side in the movies, which I would have loved to have seen more. Um, I will literally fight to the death for anything more from Fred and George, whether it's writing, whether it's more scenes, you know, I, I would do anything to, to get more of it. Um, but I always kind of turn to scenes with them um, when I'm feeling particularly bad. Um, Order of the Phoenix comes to mind a lot. Um, you know, of course, there's the infamous fireworks scene when they are leaving Hogwarts um, you know, <laughs> before graduation. And they're kind of just like, we're leaving. We're going to start this business. We're going to open it up. We're going to see you guys later. Um, I love that scene. Well, also the um, the score from the movie, that particular song is by far my favorite out of every single score, every single movie. I absolutely love that one. Oh, wow. um, so I turn to that scene a lot. Um, there's another scene in Order of the Phoenix where there's a young boy um, who, I guess, is dealing with the wrath of Umbridge and, you know, the, the kind of torture that she puts them through with the scarring on their hands. And you just see this different side uh, to the twins and they're showing um, just a really compassionate um, side to the, to the both of them, to this, to this young boy um, that you can only imagine. I'm sure that they've shown Ron and, and Ginny growing up, um, but you don't see it that often. You kind of get that sibling rivalry throughout the story. So to see them, comforting this young boy, um, you know, who's very upset and crying and probably hurting, it gets me so emotional every time I watch it. And it just, you know, kind of reminds me that there are good people out there like them who are going to be there for you no matter what. Um, you know, I see that in my friends when, when I'm going through something. They're, they, have, they have this constant, constant feeling of, you know, we're always going to be here. We're always going to make you feel better. And that's, you know, that's why I love that scene so much because it's just, like I said, it's a side of them you don't really see. I wish we got more of, um, but, you know, to have those kind of couple fleeting seconds is just something that I turn to a lot um, in a time of need. It really, it really lifts my spirits and reminds me of, of the great people that I have in my life who act the exact same way. So, yeah, absolutely. Definitely those moments. That's so interesting because you... You mentioned earlier that you found it kind of, uh, I don't remember your exact words, but you mentioned kind of the importance of humor in um, like, you know, with a therapist and as a kind of a coping mechanism for getting through. So I, I see how that could really help out. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I, you know, I've never had a therapist before the one that I'm, I'm currently working with that would make me laugh um, in meetings. And it just makes, it makes it feel so much lighter um, and better. You know, I don't feel like I'm being examined by a doctor. I kind of feel like I'm talking to a friend, um, which makes it a lot better, which is definitely why I've turned to the twins and, you know, found them to be two of my absolute favorite characters in the entire series. Because I do think you need that humor um, when it comes to dealing with, with your mental health. Not that it's a laughing matter, um, but, but you do need that, that, um, lightness and, and that calming kind of, uh, coping mechanism, um, you know, to help you through. So that's, that's definitely, you're definitely right. They, they certainly help me through those difficult times when I, when I can't seem to find my own laughter, I, I turn to them. It's, it's, a. I think it's humor is so relevant, especially when it comes to anxiety, when you think, 
you know, the metaphor of the Bogart in the books where that's, that's how you destroy the thing that you fear most is you find a way to laugh at it. And so I think that's, I think that's really wonderful that that's, that what's what, uh, that, that's what helps you. And it's such a direct metaphor here. Yes, that's perfect. I didn't even think of that actually. That is so funny. I did not even, my mind didn't even go to, to the boggers and, and how to destroy them, but I love that. I'm going to carry that forward with me. I really, <laughs> really like that. <laughs> um, so something else you mentioned, which I'm very excited to talk about, um, uh, is that you you love the scores from the Potter movies. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your relationship with the music and kind of how it helps you with your mental health? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so growing up, I was always very into like instrumental scores from movies, which I think a lot of people found weird. My friends didn't understand that, um, you know, especially growing up in, in, in the time frame that we did. Um, no one really understood me. Um, I mean, I'll admit, even now, I listen to instrumental scores from movies in my car, on the way to work, on the way home from work, while I'm writing, while I'm reading, while I'm doing calligraphy. Um, I do it all the time. Um, and the scores from the Harry Potter movies, um, they've been something that I've been listening to literally since the first movie came out. Um, you know, of course, it all starts with Hedwig's theme, and it doesn't really get any more magical than that. Um, but I've, I've loved the transition, um, over the course of the movies as the stories do get darker. Um, so does the music a little bit. Um, and you know, they've, they've had a, a couple different, um, a couple different people do the scores and I've just loved every single one of them. I think each of them, um, have brought such a, such a different, kind of feel to each movie but they all blend together so perfectly um and you know I grew up in a kind of musical atmosphere I started playing piano at the age of five um I did play guitar I sing I sang in choir in elementary school high school and college so I'm around music all the time it's something that I definitely use to help cope with my anxiety um and yeah the Harry Potter scores by far have probably helped me the most. Um, <clears throat> I remember a couple years back, I think it was back in January of 2017, I went to Florida with my friends for a week. And, you know, I told them that, of course, we had to go to Universal because I wasn't going to go to Florida and not go to the Wizarding World. <laughs> uh, and they all love the books and, and, and the movies. You know, I remember going to the midnight premiere of Deathly Hallows when it came out with these girls that I've known for a long time. Um, none of them love it like I love it, mm -hmm. but they love it. Um, and I remember walking through the park and it was my second time that I was there, but I hadn't seen Diagon Alley yet. Um, and we walked in and I started to cry and I don't think they knew what to do. They knew that I loved it, but they were kind of like, are you okay? Um, and I started spewing off the names of the scores like they were playing um they were playing reunion of friends from chamber of secrets this is how much of a dork i am but they were playing that which they play in the last scene in chamber of secrets when hagrid comes back and he thanks harry for you know kind of clearing his name and my friends just looked at me and they asked me they were like how do you know that and 
I kind of had to just tell them, you know, well, I kind of listen to it all the time in the car. And it's just something that I love to listen to. Um, but I mean, I, I literally know, I know the music from every movie. Um, you know, there, there are specific ones that are, I guess, sadder sounding um, that I listen to when I'm kind of dealing with my stuff. And sometimes you just need to cry it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I do. But then there are also the really happy ones like Hedwig's theme or, you know, fireworks from Order of the Phoenix or, um, you know, just any any of the happy kind of sounding ones. Um, it's just it's just such a magical thing. Uh, Ron's victory is another one when he's playing Quidditch. I absolutely love it. It just pumps me up. It just gives me this sense of happiness. And, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. Um, I just love it. And when I listen to them, because I've seen the movies so many times, more so than I can count, it's so easy for me to be transported to the world by listening to the movies. Uh, I'm sorry, listening to the music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it as much so as reading the books or, or watching the movies, I can listen to the music and be instantly transported. And it's such a magical thing. Um, and I love it. And like I said, each of each of the score writers have, have brought something different to each movie, but everything blends together so beautifully. Um, and it's something that I, something I take for granted, I think, the power of music. Um, but, you know, I always kind of get that whack in the face that, you know, music is really such a universal, beautiful thing, and it really can help you when you're struggling. Um, so I absolutely turn to the scores. Like I said, I, I definitely know all the songs. I have my Harry Potter playlist on Spotify. And I listen to it probably almost every single day. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Um, do you have any total favorites that you listen to like all the time? I do. I'm gonna bring it up on my phone because I'm gonna I'm gonna blank. Um, <laughs> there's so leaving Hogwarts is so beyond heartbreaking, but I absolutely love it. I think they. Um, Somebody on Tumblr once put that score to um, the last like page or the last couple paragraphs um, of the audiobook of Deathly Hallows when the kids, when you know Harry and Ron and Hermione's kids are getting on the Hogwarts Express. Oh my gosh, it nearly killed me. It's oh. so beautiful. I cried so hard. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, so there are a couple. I absolutely love Living Death from Half-Blood Prince when they are in potions class. Um, mm. It absolutely does not match the title of the of the song. Um, you know, when you think Living Death, you kind of think, I don't know, at least to me, I would think that would sound kind of dark and dreary, but it's so upbeat and, and funny to me. Um, I love it. Um, there's another one from Half-Blood, um, Harry and Hermione, when she's kind of dealing with these, I guess, raw emotions when she sees Ron with Lavender. That's something that I listen to when I'm not necessarily feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the scene where she's very upset and she's kind of crying into Harry's shoulder and I can, I can resonate with that so much. Um, so I absolutely love that one. Sky Battle from uh, Deathly Hallows when they are kind of transporting Harry from Privet Drive to the Burrow. Um, oh my gosh, it's so good. I love that scene. I love that song. It's just so, 
it sounds so badass to me and I don't know what other way <laughs> to describe it other than that. Um, it's just so cool. I, I, I absolutely love it. Um, Lily's theme is another one that gets me from Deathly Hallows. Very kind of solemn sounding, but I, I feel like it is, it's the mark of, of change, you know, when, when Deathly Hallows starts and, you know, Harry and, and Ron and Hermione are kind of trying to finish off all of these, these horcruxes and it's the start of Voldemort's demise. Um, I love that. I'm trying to see like ones from the earlier series. As I mentioned before, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book. Um, I know I said Goblet and Order are my favorite movies, but I love Prisoner, uh, Prisoner too. You know, I just, I love Gary Oldman. It's so good. It's, yes. it's so good. Um, there is, I think it's in the credits of Prisoner of Azkaban. It's Mischief Managed, and it's kind of almost all of the music from Prisoner of Azkaban combined in this, like, 12-minute score. Um, John Williams is by far my favorite composer um, out of all of them have, who have done the Harry Potter movies. They're all brilliant, but, but John Williams is by far my favorite. And Mischief Managed is just so beautiful. I I can listen to it and I can just see the entire movie and the entire book just play out in my mind. Um, So yeah, those are definitely some of my all-time favorites. I could go on and on, but I I would say those are probably my my top couple of, uh, you know, songs from from the scores of the movies. Well, I love that. And thank you for sharing all of those. Uh, That is, it is always interesting to me to know because every scene, like every song has a different emotional feeling, but sometimes just the the meaning of that scene or that movie to us can change the tone of the song. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. I, I love hearing, you know, others' opinions. You know, they might not feel the same way about, about some of the music that I do, but I would love to hear why they love what they love. Um, you know, what it reminds them of when they when they hear the music or, or watch that specific scene. So I, you know, like I said before, I think music is such a universal, powerful thing that everybody can relate to. And it, you know, it helps, it helps in a multitude of ways. And, you know, I think that's really beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, absolutely. As we move toward the end here, I know you mentioned that you went to see the studio tour when you were abroad. And uh, I've curious to know what this was like um i mean obviously the amazing uh aspect of seeing the you know the studio tour and all of the wonderful things it has um but in particular what it was like like you said you know this is a new country this is a new experience for you and how that all kind of molded together for you yeah um it was it was very scary to um get there, I guess, because I didn't know where I was going. Um, I went with a girl that I didn't know very well. I met her at my university in Rome. I mean, she kind of became friends with me and my friends. So I didn't really know her, you know, I had known her for maybe um, a month and a half. Um, And we all went to London together. But she was the only one that wanted to go to the studio tour with me. Um, So you know, we bought our tickets, packed our bags, um, and we had to travel from London to Leavesden. I don't remember exactly how, how we did it. We might have taken, uh, you know, some type of train. Um, 
And then from where you get off, you have to take a double-decker bus into Leavesden that takes you directly to the studio tour. And it's this huge double-decker bus with, like, the Deathly Hallows poster on the side. At least that's what it was when I went. Um, And it was awesome. We were the first ones online. We were, we took a seat um, on the second, the second tier to overlook the street. Um, We got there. I immediately like started to shake. I started to cry. I was so excited. Um, I, I did not know what was going to happen. And I didn't realize that when you go in, you're kind of on your own. Um, There's, it's not really like a guided tour. I mean, there are people there to discuss things with you, but you can go as slow or as quickly as you choose. I think we were there for probably six or seven hours. Um, (laughs) It was the most wonderful experience walking into the great hall is something that I will never forget because it's something I've liked to imagine myself doing many times and to actually be able to do that um, was an experience like none other. You know, I have photos of us next to the tables and, you know, up by where the professors sit. And it is that trip alone could have cured my anxiety fully. It was just so, it was so incredible. Um, you know, getting to see the different outfits that were worn by the actors throughout the entire series, getting to see the sets, you know, we walked my favorite, my favorite set that I saw, um, in my time there was seeing like part of the Weasley house. It was beautiful. I mean, they're my favorite family. They're my favorite characters. You know, I said before, I love Ron. I love Fred. I love George. Um, so they are my absolute favorites. So to see their home like come to life in, in front of me, you know, not just in a movie, but actually, you know, I could reach out and, and touch it was, was something that I, I will never forget. It was such an extraordinary experience that I will never get again in, in all of my life. Um, but it was, it was wonderful to think that these, these actors shot these scenes there and, you know, to see all of these wonderful things, to see how, um, you know, all of these talented individuals did all of, you know, this animation and animatronics and, you know, decorated and, and, you know, the thoughts that were put into the costumes and the, and the set designs and, it was just, it was overwhelming in, in the best way possible. Um, you know, I got to stand on the Hogwarts Bridge. I got to stand in front of Privet Drive to this day. My mom just said this to me the other day. You know, she said, I love that photo of you on the bridge when you went to the Harry Potter tour when you were in England. And she said, she's like, that's my favorite photo of you. I think because I just look so purely, genuinely happy in that moment. I've never looked like that before in my entire life. <laughs> um, so it was just, it was such, it was such a wonderful, insane, brilliant, life-changing experience. Um, like I said, something that I, I will never, ever, ever get again. You know, going to Universal is a dream in itself and it's wonderful and I absolutely absolutely love it but there was just something something about going to where the movies were actually filmed that just did me in you know you could have told me when I was 11 that I would be obsessed with these stories and that I would be going to England for a quick weekend when I was living in Rome and I would get to see where the movies were filmed and I would have thought that you were absolutely crazy but now I look back 
Um, I look back at, at this time and it, it's just, I look at it with such fondness because it's, it's something that I'll, I'll never experience again. And I'm so, so grateful to have had that opportunity. I'm definitely going to go back. I tell myself that now that I'm going to, I'm definitely going to book a trip and, and go back, but I'll never get that first time once in a lifetime experience. Um, yeah. And like I said, it's something that I will be forever grateful for. So, you know, I, I thank Warner brothers for, for giving us that opportunity to do that and, and walk around because yeah, like I said, it was, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and I will absolutely never forget it. It seems it's an experience I haven't had, so I'm always curious, but it sounds like you kind of leave with this and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it feels like there's almost a sense of wholeness or completion that comes after immersing yourself in the actual physical, tangible experience. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to to describe it. You know, as as much as I could, I would always try and envision myself in this kind of universe that we we get through these stories. But there there is a, it is something different. And, you know, like you said, it's there's something so wholesome about, you know, going to this, seeing everything come to life in front of your eyes, um, you know, instead of just in movie form, but actually genuinely in front of you, um, you know, that you'll, you, you would never be able to get anywhere else. So yeah, I, you know, there is definitely a sense of, of, of homeless af- after you leave. I 1000% agree. It is the most wonderful feeling in the entire world. And it's, yeah, like I said, something I will always be thankful for. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this, Katie. I am, uh, I don't know. I feel like I've sent feeling a, a sense of wholeness myself right now. It feels, um, uh, I've been, as a side note, lately I've been really struggling with my own um, health anxiety and hearing the way that you have managed and coped and found yourself able to work through these tough situations has been really, it's helped me feel a lot less alone. Uh, so I really thank you on a personal level for that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, you know, I loved sharing my experiences. I'm, I'm glad that you, you feel that way. Um, and knowing that you feel the same way makes me feel less alone. And I think that's something that's so great about, um, you know, trying to highlight the importance of mental health because it is easy to feel so alone um, in your own thoughts. But knowing that there are other people out there who who struggle and maybe cope in in similar ways, um, you know, gives you that that sense of community and makes you feel a lot less alone. So I appreciate you letting me come on the show today and and share my experiences. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely, and. Uh... I'm curious to know if you have any final words of wisdom or advice or anything else that you want to share with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, over my 10 years or even more so, I guess, than 10 years of of dealing with the ups and downs that come with an anxiety disorder, you know, whether you're dealing with that or you're dealing with depression or any other mental health you know, a disorder that you may meet within your lifetime. There is no shame in seeking help. There is no shame in, you know, 
finding some type of treatment, whether it's medication, whether it's therapy, whether it's both, um, you know, it's something that you're doing to help yourself. And in the end, you will be stronger because of it. So, you know, don't, don't be afraid to share your experiences, no matter how many people try and tell you that it's taboo and that it shouldn't be talked about. It should be talked about. Um, and it, you know, I am definitely one to advocate for mental health. So, you know, keep your head up high, keep walking, keep fighting the good fight. And, um, you know, you just remember that you're never alone. It's easier said than done. And I definitely have my days where I, I feel alone, but we're not, um, you know, as it might not seem that there are a lot of people that are dealing with the, with this kind of thing, but there are. Um, so be brave, share your voice and just know that you are not alone in the struggle. There are many people who are here for you and things will get better. So that's my piece. Oh, well, lovely. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on the show today, Katie. It's been an absolute joy to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Madison. I really, really appreciate it. It's been so much fun and I love talking. So thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to my interview with Katie. And Katie, thank you for joining us and sharing your story. I hope that you're all doing well, staying safe and healthy and happy. Please join me next time for another conversation in the headmaster's office. Take care.